Oh, the Coca-Cola Christmas truck is coming to The Hague. It's Friday, December 6th, St. Nicholas Day, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Geographically Accurate London Underground Map Appreciator. And with me today is Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and Restaurant Grammar Nazi. <laughs> Who isn't present with us today is Molly Quell. Where she is, nobody knows, but we are assuming she is yelling at journalists to ask if she hates the president. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, it is, as you say, St. Nicholas Day, because yesterday was Pakistavond. Yes. So uh, Sinterklaas has now gone home. Yes. Yes. Uh, was, he, was he flown home by KLM? <laughs> <laughs> I think they cancelled his <laughs> ticket for ticket some last reason. Minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we are referring to the news that just broke about uh, Lillian Hoek, the yeah. two children who uh, were supposed to be um, uh, deported to their home uh, country of Armenia. Around about this time last year, wasn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. it's almost a, yeah, almost a yeah. year ago. Uh, but the news just broke that KLM um, uh, cancelled their, their ticket. Yeah, um, at the last minute. At the so last minute. So the night before they were due to be deported, uh, KLM, um, yeah, one of the KLM senior managers uh, phoned the immigration service and said, uh, we're not going to take them on board the plane. We're not going to, we're not going to fly them home. Yeah. Because, yeah, to a quick recap, of course, Lillian Hoek uh, were due to... Uh, never lived in Armenia but they were due to be deported there because their mother had already been deported there yeah they were supposed to be yes sent back to live with her yeah so mm-hmm. but uh, in the end they were allowed to stay I they think. were in the end last day yes so then the, the um, minister of the time Mark Harbers uh, gave them a last minute reprieve Yes, uh, so after after a very big controversy. Yeah, it was it was it was. And, a, it was a and lot then they went into hiding yeah. at the last minute as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, and then the immigration no the police <laughs> asked people on Twitter called for people on Twitter to sort of. Uh, tell them where yes. they were. It yeah. was it was a really nasty, a nasty scandal. Yeah, they put, they, they put yeah exactly. The, 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 yeah, they put out an appeal for people to to, to disclose their whereabouts, and people obviously, uh, yeah, reacted very um, yeah, w- 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 weren't pleased about that. Yeah, yeah. because it reminded us to uh, a certain period uh, in the in the nineteen forties. Um, but back to the podcast. Um, yes. Gordon, you are a grammar Nazi, <laughs> a restaurant grammar Nazi. Why is that? Apparently, well, I was going. There's this restaurant up in um, Scheveningen, uh, up in the uh, the uh, the main kind of st- shopping uh, boulevard, uh, which for some reason it's called Flavors, which is flavor apostrophe s. I can <laughs> just about live with that because we're in the Netherlands where apostrophes use differently, but then they use the apostrophe the wrong way around, and it just drives me mad. And they didn't use a u in the, in the word flavor. <laughs> oh yeah, there is that as well. That as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But you had a you had a whole rant on. But on it, Facebook it's actually about the it. upside down apostrophe that really uh, the, the, the really oh, got, that got really my goat. Yeah. Ah. That was just the, the last straw. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> made you upset. Yes. And uh, why are you appreciating accurate London underground maps? Well, I was uh, I saw a tweet by uh, a, the account of uh, quite interesting the BBC mm-hmm. show, uh, which is a really nice show. Yeah. And I they that as well. um, uh, they sort of tweeted that uh, when people are live in London, they use the underground all the time, and mm-hmm. they have a uh, certain route for their daily daily commutes. Yeah. Uh, but when there is a delay or or, or, or there's a strike or whatever something is going on they can't use their daily route they yeah. are starting to look for other uh, routes on the on the on the on the subway yeah on the tube I have to say yes and then they will find more efficient routes to go to their work and to go back right but that only happens when 
there is a sort of disruption in their usual usual route. Okay. And then other people asked um, uh, uh, in the comments there. They asked, "Is there?" Because you know the tube map, of course. Yeah. Uh, the, the, it, it's the, kind of it's simplified. Isn't the it? simplified it's straight map. Lines. Straight yeah. lines, yeah. Uh, forty-five degrees uh, angles, mm-hmm. uh, rounded corners. It's uh, it's a design that's used all over the world for yeah. other metro systems. And someone asked, "Is there a map, a geographically accurate map, that mm-hmm. which shows how?" the tube lines are actually running. Yes. So I looked for that, and it turns out that um, there is one, but it was only uncovered in 2015 when someone made a um, Freedom of Information Act request oh, really? at the tube organization yeah. or the agency that's responsible for that. Yeah. Before that, there was no map of the London really? Underground. No one had a map that actually showed what the lines looked like. No, as opposed exactly. To, because yeah. if you look at the, uh, at the diagram, mm. um, it, it's distorted, it's simplified. Yeah. So sometimes two... Uh, tube stations are right next to each other, but yes. it's actually miles and miles away from each other. Yeah, yeah. And the, sometimes they are very far away from each other, even mm. though they are actually really they look nearby. close to the map. Yeah. yeah. So um, I really like that map. It's really, right. it was really interesting. Okay, to, interesting. To see. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Glasgow also has an underground, which has a map. There's only one line, so the, <laughs> the underground map is a slip to your circle. <laughs> <laughs> or very, it's, a, it's a square. It's a rounded square. And and how so is it on, on the actual stops. map? Well, on the ultra map, it sort of goes around in a yeah, in in a sort of bottle shape. Roughly. Ah, so it's yeah. not a not a perfect. It's not, circle. It's not a perfect circle or no, square. No, no. Oh, yeah. very fun. <laughs> that brings us to uh, the uh, our regular station, the uh, op hef of the week. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, nice, 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 <laughs> nice transition. Yes, uh, this week it was favorite day leader Klaus Dijkhoff who uh, was the cause of the op hef. Last month, the Volkskrant newspaper reported how Dijkhoff is claiming 37,000 euros a year in wachtgeld on top of his MP salary of 115,000. Wachtgeld is the money former ministers and aldermen receive uh, for, I believe, two years mm-hmm. uh, after their terms end or if they step down from office. Dijkhoff too was entitled to these benefits, but only because he served as defense minister for a whopping four weeks <laughs> in the previous cabinet. Just about everybody was defense minister at some point. <laughs> at some point, cabinet. everybody defense was. minister or justice minister. Yeah, yeah. indeed, indeed. Yeah. Uh, initially, Dijkhoff refused to cancel uh, the payments after the news broke, despite a lot of criticism by people who felt that this is not what Wachtgeld is meant for. Uh, Dijkhoff said, I know it's an unpopular opinion, but I have a right uh, to this money, so I will keep accepting mm-hmm. it. But on Tuesday, Dijkhoff took a U-turn and announced that he would stop claiming the money. The news came only hours before revelations by magazine HP the Tijd that Dijkhoff also claimed 5,000 euros a year in travel expenses, even though he has a chauffeur-driven car which is paid by his own party. Mm. So uh, that was uh, very, uh, yeah. very good timing uh, by uh, by Dijkhoff. Yes. Um, however, under parliamentary rules, stopping the wachtgeld would require him to refund the eighty thousand euros he has already received since two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dijkhoff said he is not prepared to do this, and he is looking into ways he could continue to claim and then pay the money back later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, this is very bad timing because it came in a week, of course, when the big discussion was about people being um, forced to repay large sums of money to, yeah. to the government. <laughs> Yeah, and indeed. then here was Klaus Dijkhoff saying, um, he was basically refusing to pay back money that a lot of people felt that uh, he, well, he was entitled to it, yeah. but he shouldn't in, in all conscience have received because he you know, only did this job for four, for four he, weeks. He was legally entitled to yeah. it, but morally you could say, well... Yeah, it was dubious. Is, uh, I think yeah. the thing here is, and I suspect that someone's had a word in his ear, this is it, 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 it's kind of um, damaging because it, it sort of reinforces the image of the faith of day as kind of the party of the bosses and, you know, um, yeah. who... who, who, who 
who decide chaos. to grab is that the chaos the people who are out to grab everything and get and Dykov is of course the guy within the past who's tried to steer it more towards the middle managers and the yeah. sort of more modest income earners so then for him of all people to be doing this and to be sort of claiming this you know uh, yeah, f- fairly uh, cons- uh, substantial sum of money or certainly to, to the kind of people that the FFD are trying to persuade to vote for them will seem as large sum of money was not a good look no I indeed I suspect someone pointed that out to him yeah I haven't even <laughs> looked at it that way that uh, the, the, the new image they're trying to yeah. present to the people that it's really in conflict with uh, this sort of behavior yeah but mm. uh, yeah that's really true yeah. indeed this week we update you on why a suburb of the hague is in flames with whom mark rutter was gossiping in london and which dutch football player had a remarkable international career in our discussion we talk about the ongoing controversy about the tax officer's crusade against suspected child benefit cheats More than 40 people have been arrested during several nights of rioting and vandalism in The Hague this week. The unrest has been linked to the breakdown of talks to organise the annual beach bonfires in the suburbs of Dandorp and Scheveningen, known as the Vreugdevuren. Maybe they were just mad about uh, upside-down apostrophes. Possibly that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. in that case, I would be a lot more sympathetic. <laughs> uh, the Vreugdevuren have been an institution since the 1980s. After last year's 48-metre-high pallet stacks caused a conflagration and fire tornadoes along the beachfront and millions of euros of damage, the City Council said this year's bonfires would be much more tightly regulated and smaller in scale. But last week, the committee organising the bonfires pulled its application for a licence in Dandorp and accused the Council of making its job impossible. In an angry Facebook post, it said that the bonfire tradition had been snatched away from the community and it would not be held responsible for the consequences. So what do we know about the people who have been arrested? Yeah, about 38 arrests, I think, up till uh, Thursday morning, um, and uh, two-thirds of them were under 18. Oh, wow. uh, Including a nine-year-old boy who was caught with a Molotov cocktail. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, the police believe a hardcore of around 50 people are orchestrating the violence. Uh, the prosecution service wants to bring them to court before Christmas and apply for banning orders so they can't go out on New Year's Eve, which of course is the busiest night of the year for the emergency services. Yeah, already, and yeah. Know, also without uh, this, this, this. Exactly. Uh, There's fear it's going to be particularly bad yeah, in the Hague this year because of what's been going on. Yeah. Uh, riot police have been going out into the streets preemptively in recent nights uh, to try to stop the violence escalating, and that does seem to have uh, calmed things down. So, uh, and what uh, has the city council uh, to say about this? So the mayor, Johan Gremkes Mr. Stikstof. Mr. Stikstof is, yeah, as ever, he gets everywhere these days uh, He said he won't be blackmailed by the threat of violence. He said, quote People living in the area feel intimidated and we cannot allow the street to run the country The violence appears to have targeted council property, such as bus stops and communal bins, and makeshift spikes were put in the road to stop emergency vehicles getting through. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, um, this week the council refused to give a permit to the New Year bonfire in Scheveningen because the organizer's application didn't meet the criteria. Uh, there's been a huge kind of blame game going on, basically. Um, the, the council say that the organizers didn't get their act together and uh, didn't uh, didn't come up with a plan that was viable and safe. Yeah. Politicians, on the other hand, especially people like Richard de Moss uh, and Harold Brinkman, who have, of course, uh, Harold Brinkman's ex-PFF, so is De Moss as well. Yes, they are. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, they've blamed the council for applying the rules too rigidly, and they say that's they've contributed to the problem. Uh, the council says the rules have to be stricter to avoid a repeat of last year, and the much higher cost of ensuring the events uh, has to be um, is also thought to be a factor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, uh, I think the um, the excess, the high risk, is a hundred thousand euros this year. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> especially given what happened last year. Exactly. It, it, it's logical that. Insurance companies are 
increasing this uh, yeah, eigen risico. If yeah. you have an accident, your premium goes up. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that happens. Uh, the bonfires were introduced in the 1980s to try to stop street violence uh, at the end of every year uh, by giving the city's youth a focal point. Yeah, so, because before that period of time, um, it was sort of a tradition in Scheveningen, especially in Duindorp, to ride with the police on yeah. New Year's Eve. And yeah, and start fires in the streets with old, with old Christmas trees. With old Christmas trees. Yeah. And initially there was a sort of rivalry between the streets. We will have the biggest bonfire, uh, then the police would show up, and then you know riots would uh, uh, would ultimately result. It would ultimately result mm-hmm. in riots, and this sort of developed into uh, it's this standard thing, but almost a tradition to ride with the police on yeah. New Year's Eve. Yeah. And uh, I never knew that it was this bad. I only saw the the, the images of 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 of, uh, of these riots mm-hmm. this week, and it was terrible. The the, the yeah. was a war zone on the day after. Uh, New Year's Day. It 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 it's really terrible. So the mm. there needed to be a solution, and what the municipality came up with was actually quite brilliant. Yeah. Uh, organize a huge bonfire mm-hmm. on uh, on on specific locations. You would bring all the people together, make it turn this rioting atmosphere into a sort of festivity. Yeah. Um, and it worked. Yeah. Pretty well. And a big centrally organized event. And yeah, like you say, it, it cut the violence. A lot. I think the only thing is, I mean, to me, it seems that this is uh, the the classic um, uh, case of uh, a, a Dutch kind of Dutch gedoogbeleid going wrong. Because yeah. well, what they basically did was that they left the people as much as possible to organise it themselves. The city council very much kept his hands off. Because last year we got the situation where they flagrantly went uh, exceeded the the safety limits that had been set out of how high the stacks could be. They used a lot of kind of uh, flammable ex- you know, flammable liquid to, to to accelerate the fire. Yeah. And of course then the wind got up on the night and uh, these these fire tornadoes swept across the beach so they said we can't have that again this year we're going to have to actually regulate it properly which they hadn't done before you know, they couldn't be hands off anymore and of course the organisers um, you know, didn't like that no and because they they, yeah. they appreciate the level of freedom that they had yes, before of course exactly yeah. uh, I, I heard an amazing story that speaking of the gedoog beleid gone wrong um, <laughs> and the municipality uh, they put uh, shipping containers on uh, secret locations mm-hmm. where uh, the people from Duindorp or Scheveningen could stack their old Christmas trees and yeah. they would arrange security for that because mm-hmm. uh, 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 all these t- groups of people s- tried to steal their Christmas trees, of course. Mm-hmm. So uh, and they also provided uh, the the wood for the for the um, for the bonfires. Yeah. So the 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 whole thing was actually organised mm-hmm. by the municipality. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, the, yeah, speaking of gedogen. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. So they kind of faci- end up facilitating this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I expect. I fear that uh, things will. Go go really bad in in Dundalk. I think, uh, think New Year in Dundalk is gonna yeah um yeah I think a lot of people are not looking forward to it and of course um uh, th- I mean I read I think yesterday on uh, on Mugvest that uh, on December the first there were fourteen fires um you know in, in in the street compared to like two or three in the last couple of years yeah so you know, th- th- that's the scale by which things have uh, have got worse yeah um, in the light of this decision so hopefully it will not be that bad but we hope so but. Prime Minister Mark Rutte attended the UN Climate Conference in Madrid this week. The Climate Summit's goals was to find ways to achieve the targets set in the Paris Climate Agreement of 2015. Uh, in his opening speech, Rutte urged heads of governments and states to do uh, concrete proposals for tackling climate change. He also recommended the Dutch polder model and referred to the climate agreement that was reached in the Netherlands earlier this year. We managed to make an agreement with more than 150 parties from workers' unions and environmental organizations to 
through the banks and multinationals. Big ambitions are fine, but you have to do it step by step. And how we did it is the way to success. Yeah. The so, Prime Minister said. Yeah, this is kind of classic Greta, kind of selling the polar model now yeah. as a solution to the world's problems. Yes, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah, indeed. But there was also some some critique because, of course, when he is in the Netherlands and he speaks yeah. as the Prime Minister to uh, parliamentarians or mm. a journalist or whatever, he really profiles himself as the favorite day politician who doesn't really like these environmental yeah. uh, measures. Yeah. Uh, but when he's abroad, he turns into this environmentalist, almost Greta Thunberg. Uh, yeah, this uh, kind of campaigner for you know, better environmental and I heard, regulation. And yeah. I heard someone say, um, <laughs> when Margrethe <laughs> is in the Netherlands, he's the Vroom Vroom Prime Minister, yeah. but when he's abroad, he's the Groen Groen Prime Minister. <laughs> uh-huh. so I really like that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's promoting a rotmater regler. Indeed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's had a busy week, of course, because after Madrid, uh, he was uh, he went straight to London. Yeah, for indeed. another summit. Indeed, because London was uh, where the North Atlantic Treaty Organization or NATO celebrated its seventeenth uh, birthday. Uh, given the recent growing tensions among its members, uh, mostly caused by Molly's president. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Uh, pretty much. It wasn't expected to be a very uh, gezellig event. Yeah. But a video went viral, um, and that really spoiled the fun even more. Well, spoil the fun for one person. For one person in particular. <laughs> the video showed Mark Rutte at a reception held at Buckingham Palace, gossiping with Justin Trudeau of Canada, Boris Johnson of the UK, Emmanuel, Emmanuel Macron of uh, France and Princess Anne. Princess she Anne, was, yes. She was also there. Yeah. Um, I think she was trying to improve, to, to uh, uh, salvage the royal family's uh, reputation after <laughs> Prince Andrew's <laughs> recent... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and they they appear to be gossiping about Donald Trump. Um, Trudeau could be heard telling the group um, he takes a 40-minute press conference off the top, prompting more yeah. comments and laughter from uh, from the rest of the group. Although Trump was not mentioned by name, but mm-hmm. it was immediately clear it who they were talking about. Rutte, yeah. by the way, kept silent. He just stood by. He didn't say anything. He, he just let, stood there and uh, sort of laughed. And he, he, yeah, he, he laughed, laughed along. He yeah. laughed along a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. Um, Rutte told uh, Dutch reporters later that the chatter was meaningless. We were standing at the reception for hours, so then there is also always a bit of gossip. Mm-hmm. Um, he said to the Algemeen Dagblad, but it wasn't mean, it was about nothing. Yeah, it, 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 it sort of reminded me of those situations when you kind of go to a, like a children's birthday party and you're there for hours, kind of, you know, sort of uh, yeah. to, to entertain small people. And everyone's just smiling along and uh, playing nice, but secretly you're just waiting for the moment when you can where you can get in a room with the grown-ups and open the wine. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, <laughs> or, or can just leave, go, go yeah, exactly. home. Yeah. But yeah, gossiping, I think it's, it's a very natural thing. Everybody yeah. does it, but we at least have the courtesy to not do it with an open microphone. <laughs> we talked a lot about Molly this morning, but we don't yeah. do it when the microphone is on. Indeed, so not. Let let that be. Let that be a lesson. Yeah, but that's mainly because we're in her house. Yeah, that's there. true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe her dog is listening. <laughs> A 19-year-old student from Amsterdam is facing Christmas in jail and deportation to the Dominican Republic after discovering he'd been living in the country illegally. Daniel Buto was abandoned by his parents at the age of three when they left the country for a holiday and never returned. Although he was born in the Netherlands, he lost his nationality when his mother revoked her Dutch passport, which he was included on. Buto was taken in by his grandmother, but an oversight meant he was not registered with a new citizenship number before he turned 18. His illegal status only came to light when he tried to get a passport so he could enrol for a college course in IT. Hmm. An official at Amsterdam City Council passed on his details to the immigration service, who invited him for a meeting. When Buta's lawyer advised him not to attend, he was taken into custody and has spent the last two weeks in Rotterdam prison. 
Yeah, it's a really awful story. It's a yeah. dreadful story, yeah. Right. And the fact that this guy had no idea that he actually wasn't allowed to be in the country until he tried to uh, uh, sign up for a, you know, for a college course. Yeah, it's, you know. it's just... Uh, and suddenly his whole, whole future has, you know, fell apart in front of his eyes. Yeah, and, yeah. and what is going to happen to him now? So an immigration judge uh, is due to rule in his situation in February. Um, as an undocumented alien, he could be deported to the Dominican Republic. But he's, unli- he's likely to appeal on the basis of Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights, which guarantees the right to a private life. However, until he can secure legal status, he has no right to study or work in the Netherlands, and that means his dreams of a career are in serious trouble. Um, There is a petition, 11,000 people have signed it, urging the government to release him so he can spend Christmas with his grandmother. Uh, Local politicians have taken up the case. Uh, Groen Link, city councillor Famke Roosma, called the situation disgusting and inhuman, and uh, on Thursday, uh, the mayor, Famke Halsema, said she wanted to see what she could do to try and and um, get him released from custody. She said he He's not the sort of person who belongs in prison. No, no, definitely no. not. Uh, is there also a reason why he's not given a uh, BSN when his parents abandoned him? Yeah, this seems to be one of those uh, administrative oversights we've been hearing about uh, so much about this week. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be the root of all the problems here. I mean, he lost his Dutch nationality when his mother, who was uh, Dominican, gave up her Dutch passport. But as a child, he could have been re-registered with a new number. Um, however, according to Parole, the council advises grandmother to just carry on registering him at school because obviously he wasn't of school age when um, this all happened uh, with the old number he already had and and that just carried on as he went through the school system Um, his father who now lives in Belgium um, realised this was a potential problem and tried to re-register him in 2016 um, when he was, uh, I think, a 15-year-old, under the rules on family reunification, but that all uh, came to nothing. So once Daniel turned 18, he became an illegal immigrant without even being aware of it. But, but, but he wasn't illegal until 18. Um, well, he had a he had a BSN, which I think was um, attached to his mother. Okay, um, basically. Uh, yeah. Which, um, but he needed to have one in his own right in order to um, and then apply for Dutch citizenship. But neither of those things happened. Okay. And as a result, yeah, 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 but basically, I think he needed to make his own citizenship application because his mother was no longer a citizen. Yeah, as a minor, he was entitled to stay in the country. Yeah, but if, if you are a minor, then you're not thinking about stuff like this, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, so someone has to point it out to you. And apparently, it, was, it looks as if you know the council gave his grandmother some bad advice, said it's more convenient. You don't, you know, he has a BSN number, therefore he doesn't need to apply for one. Actually, he did. Yeah. You know, because he, mm. needed to, he needed to be seen as an individual in his own right, yeah. um, rather than someone who's dependent on a person who'd lost their nationality. Yeah, hopefully Daniel will be able to stay in the Netherlands because it seems to be very... Uh, yeah, it seems a crazy situation. It seems the fact that you know, it's a bureaucratic slip-up, it, yeah. it, it seems yeah, monstrously unfair that he should now be punished and you know, told to leave the country as a result. Yeah, we yeah. will uh, update you when we have uh, new developments. Absolutely. A lot of Eurovision news this week, as the organization revealed the ticket prices for the Eurovision Song Contest in Rotterdam next year. The cheapest ticket will be €18.50 for limited visibility places during rehearsals, and the most expensive one is €248.50 for standing places in Ahoy at the finale. I I like the fact that they added on 50 cents. Yeah, (laughs) it seems to be a very specific... uh, (laughs) Very exact price. Yeah. Yeah. Last year, Duncan Lawrence won the Eurovision Song Contest in Tel Aviv with this song Arcade, meaning that the Netherlands will be next year's host. 
The three presenters were also revealed this week. Singers Atsilia Rombli and Jan Smit and TV presenter Chantal Janssen will be seen on live television by hundreds of millions of people mm. worldwide. It was also announced that uh, in an effort to make the event as accessible as possible, low-income residents of Rotterdam will get a chance to win a free ticket. The organization has set aside hundreds of tickets for this. The show will be held on May 12th, 14 and the grand finale on May 16th. Wow, so uh, Eurovision uh, fever is, already, is, is really picking up. It's really picking up, yeah. yeah. They, yeah. Also re- they also revealed uh, images of how the stage will look like. Ah. And it's, um, uh, you, usually uh, it, at the Eurovision Song Contest, if you are epileptic, then you shouldn't watch no. it. Uh, and again, that's the case this year. Right, okay. <laughs> and uh, so, so, so who is paying for this? This has been a burning <laughs> question ever since, literally ever since uh, the, the Netherlands the won after. the event. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Well, not the taxpayer, according to Prime Minister uh-huh. Mark Rutte. He indeed said this a day after Duncan Lawrence won the song contest. Uh, he doesn't want public money to go into the organization. But Ari Slop, the responsible minister, has found a way to fund the show without taxpayers' money. Mm. According to a re-estimation, this year's commercial incomes for the public broadcaster will turn out to be higher than expected. Um, and this surplus will be used to fund the, the song contest with 12.4 million euros. So yeah. it's not taxpayers' money, no, it's, no. it's other incomes that will be used for it. Right, but it's income from the public broadcaster. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, which would otherwise back, go which into, gone the back into the treasury. Into the treasury. Indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, and and um, by happy coincidence, that is more or less exactly the amount of money that uh, they were asking for in the first yeah. place. Yeah, isn't, it, isn't <laughs> that funny? I, yeah, I they're asking who, 15 million. I yeah. think Jan Smit in person made this re-estimation. And yeah. That's what I expect. Yeah, and um, also th- th- they've been uh, taking steps to try and stop people uh, passing tickets on the black market. Yes, yeah. um, the organization has decided to issue the tickets only on name, uh, so the tickets cannot be sold to others. Uh, and uh, other measures include a maximum of four tickets per person uh, and an obligation to carry ID. Uh, even though the official pre-sale will only start next year, tickets were already being offered on the internet for 800 euros. So mm. it seems to be a very smart thing uh, to uh, to uh, to install these measures. I yeah, it seems to be. But the, the, the ticket touts always find a way around. These, uh, yeah, these they, they will always uh, they yeah. will always find a way. So yeah, hopefully, um, uh, 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 <clears throat> but. Uh, yeah, they will always find a way, indeed. So, uh, yeah, we will. Uh, if you want to go, then uh, you yeah. should. Uh, you should. Uh, then you're gonna need eight hundred euros. Eight hundred euros <laughs> at least. Yeah, or eighteen euros fifteen if you want uh, yes. limited. Yes, uh, limited uh, visibility during the rehearsals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, if I would go there, I would want uh, a, a limited. Um, uh, hearing, lim- uh, yeah, uh, well, limited hearing, limited visibility, given all the kind of you know, um, yeah, t- triggering flashing lights, is probably. I'm, I'm surprised it's a people, smart thing to yeah, do. I'm yeah, surprised yeah. people aren't charged extra for that. <laughs> no, indeed. No, I would just don't want to hear anything of what 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 they're singing. <laughs> so I want limited. Uh, audio uh, places that's what I want yeah well I have to say no, I'm, I've already decided uh, which entry uh, um, I'm going to be um, backing next year because uh, Belgium are being represented by Hooverphonic who are a really good band so, oh okay yeah. they already uh, decided they're, yeah they already signed up so they're, they're going to be uh, doing the Belgian entry next year okay well hopefully yeah. uh, that will uh, turn out to, to be a nice song who knows yeah. Max Verstappen rounded off the Formula One season by finishing second in Abu Dhabi to world champion Lewis Hamilton, and thereby sealing third place in the Drivers' Championship. Verstappen said his Red Bull team would have to work hard over the winter to make sure they were competitive from the opening race next season and give him a genuine chance of becoming the first Dutch world champion. Yeah, they've, they've been saying that for, for yeah, years every year now. Every that. year yeah. we, we're saying that, so yeah, I um, don't believe any, any no. word of this. Uh, Verstappen has run three races this season, compared to Hamilton's 11, 
so a bit of catching up to do there. And uh, Monaco's Charles Leclerc, of course, also emerged as a, as a serious contender with two wins. Yeah. So what Red Bull really need is a cool head and a safe pair of hands in the pit lane. Yeah, on the face of it, that's what you'd think. <laughs> However, what they actually got this week was Boris Johnson, <laughs> who turned up at uh, their factory in Milton Keynes uh, to, to change a tyre for, for, for a very amusing photo call, which uh, you should try and make the effort to watch. Uh, Johnson had to drill on a left front tyre. Um, it seemed to stay on pretty well, but if the wheels fall off at the end of January, you'll know who to blame. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, I don't think with Boris Johnson in the, in the team they will uh, break the the, the the record again. Uh, I think. No. Looking at the uh, the images. Uh, yeah. Looking at the video. Yeah. No. It, it, it definitely wasn't a three and a half second pit stop. No. 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 And there was uh, some sporting upheaval involving a Dutch amateur footballer this week, wasn't it? Yes. Some remarkable sporting upheaval. <laughs> uh, this is the um, incredible case of uh, Bernio Jordan Enzo Verhagen. He's being sued by Danish side Fibor for um well for not being a footballer. Fibor <laughs> uh, said they signed the 25 year old from a club in. Chile. It was actually his fourth professional club um, this year. Um, he'd been recommended by an agency, um, a very reputable agency called Stella, which also represents player like players like Gareth Bale. Hmm. Uh, they recommended him. They gave details of his previous clubs in Moldavia and South Africa, okay. uh, with Cape Town FC, which is one of the bigger South African clubs. However, he was uh, taken off the pitch at the first training session because of uh, well his total lack of what were called footballing qualities. Fibog <laughs> uh, also said he had a very messy private life um, which, <laughs> which included he's, he's, he's been arrested for beating up his girlfriend uh, oh. theft and intimidation Aye. so yeah seriously messy yeah. <clears throat> um, further digging revealed that while he'd been presented as a player at uh, these uh, three other clubs uh, one in Chile one in South Africa one in Moldavia he never signed professional terms or played a competitive game um, and he'd been dismissed by FC Cape Town after two days because he, he just wasn't up to scratch um, it emerged and there's a really good podcast uh, by Vice um uh, the, uh, on this, so to, to, to made to turn up all these revelations, it seems that the, the clubs sent fake emails that looked as if they came from a genuine sports management agency, but in fact they were they were a scam. So the club sent these fake email emails. No, no, no the the the, the uh, I think uh, well the, the suggestion is or the uh, the Fahak himself or some, some ah. or, or some associated of his sent the fake emails, some football which appeared fishing. to come. Yeah, but basically it was it was a phishing scam exactly. Yeah, yeah. They, they looked as if they were from uh, the, the the agency that represents Gareth Bale, but when they actually contacted the agency, they said we didn't send these emails. Mm. And when they looked at the email address closely, sure enough, it didn't come from them. Uh-huh. Uh, Fahak has since been arrested in Denmark um, on suspicion of assaulting his, his girlfriend um, his, uh, sh- his shady career uh, also appears to have included a bit of credit card fraud um, okay. and as well, well we'll link to the podcast on Vice in the line notes it's a fascinating story it, it sounds really fascinating <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a good movie uh, in here somewhere yeah definitely Most people in the Netherlands are mindful about the way they eat, making their meals from scratch and eating at the table, according to a survey commissioned by the government's eating habits agency Voedingscentrum. Over half of the 1,000 survey respondents does not eat breakfast, and the great majority of 75% still eat their evening meal at the table. Meals are made from scratch more than five times a week on average, with ready-made food or takeaways only appearing on Dutch tables once a week. 
What did, what did they eat the other other day? What did you eat the other day? They eat five days a week. They oh, make see, their own meal, and then one day they they have takeaway. Then away. one day they just starve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. F- yeah. Fasting, uh, fasting. Maybe this day. is an SKP territory they did the survey. <laughs> maybe yeah. Uh, almost a quarter of respondents said they are spending more time preparing meals than they did five years ago. Just over half of the respondents said they chatted with the other members of the family during meals, while twenty five percent said they watched television and four percent checked social media or did something else. Mm. Respondents uh, aged uh, 55 and older are more inclined to cook meals and eat them without the distractions of TV or phone. And families eat together more often than people who live alone. Yeah, how are you going to eat together with your household if you live alone? alone, Yeah, that seems uh, (laughs) a bit logistically difficult. (laughs) The Fooding Centrum said mindful eating can be stimulated by cooking from scratch and that homemade meals are more likely to be healthy. Distractions such as television and mobile phones also make it more likely people will eat too much, the agency said. Mm. Or just not eat at all. Yeah. yeah. If you forget to eat because to eat. Uh, the, what's on television is too interesting. Yeah. yeah. What I what I found really interesting is that, that, that only half of the respondents are chatting with the other family members. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do while you're eating? Well, I guess you're, you're eating or, you're, or you're looking at your phone uh, yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, well, yeah. only 4% is on their phone. So yeah. at, at just 25% watch television, so that leaves, yeah, mm-hmm. that leaves kind of a 20% who, who eat in total silence obviously yeah hmm. maybe it, it is stare, indeed stare a SCP wall family who knows <laughs> yes. um, yeah so uh, do you uh, cook uh, a lot from scratch or do you I pretty much of- uh, yeah cook all the meals from scratch we, 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 yeah we have pizza in my house maybe once a month um, other than that yeah I usually but, but we, 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 I cook kind of very set menu because my, my children are still of the age where they kind of like you know things like um, uh, chicken nuggets. So I make the chicken nuggets from scratch, even. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't buy them frozen. It's a lot of a uh, lot more healthy, of course. Yeah, I yeah. don't need the freezer. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think um, I o- I also cook everything from scratch, almost everything. And uh, yeah, Molly is here today, but she uh, uh, has always has a menu downstairs, uh, yeah. which uh, which which says what they're going to eat for the rest of the day. So I think also Molly um, uh, eats a lot yeah. from scratch. So they're all mindful eaters. Then. Yeah, so we yeah. are very Dutch. We have very Dutch eating habits here. Good. We'll be discussing the Toeslagen Affair after this word from our sponsors. Hey, you. Yes, you listening to this podcast for free. We're really glad you like all of our Uphef coverage and our dick lawyer jokes, but it costs money to bring them to your ears. If you have a few extra bucks and you would like to support the work that we do, you can now back us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to donate. We will give a shout out to all of our backers on the podcast. If you donate 50 euros, Gordon will dedicate the next podcast to his love of lavender strope waffles. For 75 euros, I will suffer through one entire football match. For the low, low price of only 100 euros, Paul will vote for the Socialist Party in the next election. So please, go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to support us and to keep Truby fed. His dog food is extremely expensive. Deputy Finance Minister Menno Snell survived a motion of no confidence this week after an emotional debate in the Tweede Kamer on Wednesday. The D66 minister, who is responsible for the tax service, was under fire for his handling of the Toeslagen Affair. 
Uh, the child benefit affair, as that's the best translation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, thousands of people were wrongly accused of fraud by the tax office, after which uh, their childcare support was stopped. On top of that, they were ordered to pay back the money, often tens of thousands of euros, leaving the families in financial mm-hmm. ruin. The motion was uh, supported by almost the entire opposition. Only SGP and GroenLinks did not vote in favour. Yeah, but that was enough to ma- mean that uh, Menno Snell kept his job. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of speculation beforehand that he might uh, be in trouble. But again, like the previous week's debate with Uncle Bielefeld, the threat to um, his position never really emerged. No, no. Yeah. Indeed. But it was a very fierce debate, as we'll get into later. Yeah. yeah. So, first of all, how did this scandal begin? Well, for that, we have to go back to 2014. In that year, the tax office decided to fully cancel the child benefits of an estimated 300 parents at once, mm-hmm. uh, and they forced them to pay the money back. Yeah, um, and all these parents were linked to one foster agency, indeed. weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This was decided after the so-called GOF, the anti-fraud uh, task force team of the tax service, found what they called irregularities in uh, the applications of these families. The task force said the parents' applications contained incomplete or false information, uh, later turned out that this was only for example mm-hmm. one number that was uh, wrong or a missing bonnetje something that yeah. really small yeah um, but as a result the blasting deans decided to act mercilessly and uh, hold up the benefits uh, of these families and demanded that they pay back the money these people were not asked to correct these mistakes and weren't given an explanation for why their benefits were cut uh, they were simply informed that they had to pay back the money yeah and in some cases they had uh, possessions uh, confiscated cars taken away yeah and they had to move house and sometimes they had to move house, yeah uh, uh, because, of course, if you get these child benefits for the daycare of your mm-hmm. children, uh, it allows you to work because yeah. your children are, are taken care of. Yeah. But if this money is cut, then you have you cannot pay for, for that. Yes. That means that you have to stop your job exactly, or, yeah. or, or yeah. quit your job you lose or your job. Yeah. lose your job. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you have to pay back this enormous sums of yes. money. So it leaves you in a... Very, very in a really difficult big, really situation. deep hole. Yes, Indeed. because obviously, yes, you, you lose income because you know, one of you is no longer working, and you've got this big debt to pay off. Yeah, and you still don't know why, yeah, or what you've done wrong, or why they're demanding this money off you. Yes, and yeah. then later it turns out that you haven't done anything yes, wrong. Yes, so exactly. It's, it's a really so awful it's been situation. A, yeah, a horrific thing, and it's been going on for several years. It's taken several years to get to the bottom of this. And in the meantime, these families are being in real dire financial straits. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. So why did the blasting deans do this? Go after these families so aggressively? Well, it has to do with another political scandal, the yeah. so-called Bulgare fraude. Mm. The, the way the Dutch benefit system is designed is that you can apply for these benefits and yeah. you'll basically get paid right away. Uh, the the tax service will later in the year check if you're actually eligible for these mm-hmm. uh, benefits. But uh, you get paid right away and then at the end of the year you hear if you are actually entitled to it or not. And if yeah. you're not entitled to it, then yeah. you have to pay it back. Well, sometimes your amount's reduced because your income varies from what you expected. Indeed. Um, and that's part of, of course, of the fact that people are increasingly less on fixed salary jobs. So you can, do, you can declare an income at the start of the year, but then it turns out you've earned more than you expected. And then you have to repay some of your benefit money. Yeah, and yeah. if you are, for example, get promoted, then your income will increase. And then yeah. at the end of the year, it turns out that you are not eligible for these benefits and mm-hmm. you have to pay it back. So sometimes it even leaves you, financially speaking, you're not improving if you yeah. are promoted, which is a really strange thing, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the way this is done is it's actually... Uh, initially thought to to help people you mm-hmm. don't have to wait for your application to be checked and processed you just yeah. get your money immediately um 
uh, it sort of depends on on the idea that people will uh, look at their incomes and then will decide for themselves if they are uh, entitled to these benefits yeah. or not. But it also depends on people actually knowing what their income is going to be. And of course, increasingly, people don't. Indeed. Because, uh, so there's been a shift towards flexible working and freelance working. Indeed. Yeah. So now it's it's much more of a problem than it was uh, yeah. uh, in the early 2000s when this system was installed. Yeah. But in 2013, going back to the Bulgaria fraude scandal, a large number of people from abroad, and these were mostly people from Bulgaria or Romania, they took advantage of this system. So they applied for benefits they received uh, the first payments and then immediately moved back to the country mm-hmm. where they came from. Yeah, this so is really kind of organised fraud, isn't it? I mean, these actual gangs who wised up to the system and bust people in. Indeed, there were, there, and Romania. there were literally and, agencies yeah. in Bulgaria yeah. who advised people to move to the Netherlands, apply yeah. for this money and then go back. Yeah, and presumably the agencies took a cut of this money as well. Probably, so, yeah. yeah. So it was a real business model for some people. Yeah. But at the time the Belastingdienst found out that uh, they were t- taking advantage of the system, they had already been paid thousands of euros and mm-hmm. they couldn't retrieve the money because they lived in Bulgaria or yeah. Romania or another country. So a real problem, this scandal came out. The uh, deputy finance minister who was in charge back then was almost sent away by the Tweede Kamer and mm-hmm. he also later resigned over this when yeah. uh, the scandal wasn't uh, uh, resolved um, in a proper way. So after the scandal, the Belastingdienst decided it would adopt a zero-tolerance policy over benefit fraud. Ironically, it mostly affected honest people who simply yeah. made an honest mistake yeah. rather than Rather than the, the organised fraudsters. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So who just disappeared. Yeah, so, so they, they adopted this policy to deal with one scandal, which was um, criminals uh, taking advantage of the flaw in the Dutch benefit system, but that then gave rise to another scandal, which was the child benefit scandal. So how did that come to light? Well, uh, looking back, there are many signs that something went wrong in the past years when this uh, sort of crusade against uh, benefit fraud uh, Mm. started. But politicians and two MPs in particular started to pay attention after the national ombudsman started to investigate several cases in 2017. So, yeah, this foster agency, which we talked about in Eindhoven, was in 2014. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they started a legal uh, case against the Belastingdienst and they requested the national ombudsman to investigate this. But it was only picked up in 2017. Mm -hmm. So then the first light that something was going on was was shed on this this problem. Two MPs uh, took this up, uh, especially Renske Leijten and Pieter Omtzigt. Yeah. Uh, so Renske Leijten of the Socialist Party and Pieter Omtzigt of the Christian Democrats, CDA. Yes, and yeah. they asked uh, questions, counters of questions in the Tweede Kamer and demanded clarifications from the Ministry. Uh, and bit by bit, the, the full scope of this scandal was, was uncovered. But it really came into the spotlight a couple of months ago when this news about these 300 parents in Eindhoven mm-hmm. um, and then, yeah, the, the scandal was really came into the public eye. Yeah, I think it was at 12 and RTL News as well have been uh, Oh yeah. The yeah, story indeed. In, yeah. in a big way as well. Yes. Yeah. And also the Ombudsman um, investigated these cases and he also noted that a disproportionate number of, of, of the, the victimized people were dual nationals. Yeah. Uh, and that perhaps reflected the, the origin of this uh, more aggressive approach, which came from uh, foreigners um, uh, claiming the benefit money. Oh, but, maybe that's the reason. Yeah, yeah nevertheless, yeah. it does suspiciously look like they were kind of deliberately targeting people with two passports on suspicion that they would be yeah, more likely to commit fraud. Mm. Certain uh, yeah, suggestion of ethnic profiling going on. Yes, and if you yeah. have if you have people from dual nationals, sometimes they don't read as well as yes. as as, uh, as other people. So yeah. it's it's really then they are much more prone to make these tiny mistakes mm-hmm. so 
that also disadvantages them, uh, of course. Yeah. And yeah, despite the numerous signals about the scandal, it took uh, the, the Deputy Minister Snell only until this year to take action. He installed a commission chaired by former Minister Pietijn Donner. They investigated the scandal and um, look into ways to compensate the parents. Yeah, and some really shocking things emerged of this about, about the tactics adopted by this fraud team and the scope that they were given to go after parents who'd actually done nothing wrong. And so the assumption that people, if they had, you know, as you say, were missing one piece of paperwork or had filled in a form wrong or missed a deadline, that they must be committing fraud. Yeah. There was evidence that, you know, that, that there was a team that went out on December the 5th, you know, so, um, you know, Pakizafund, uh, St. Nicholas Eve, and they called it Afpakizafund, as in, uh, you know, this is take-back night. Yeah, these, so, yeah, these internal memos, they yeah. really talked uh, uh, to each other in a very... Um, Dismissive, contemptuous way. Yeah, yeah, and they were really sort of high-fiving each other when they when they found someone who was suspected of this fraud. And yeah. this commission, they they wrote a report about it, and they concluded that the Blossomians really was acting relentlessly and without mercy. The, the report accused the Blossomians of having tunnel vision, so mm-hmm. whenever someone was expected of fraud, there was no other possibility. It yeah. must be fraud, and yeah. we must uh, take uh, take away their money. That was one of the conclusions of the commission donor. So once fraud was suspected, the families uh, basically had no other chance than that their benefits mm. would be cut. They assumed fraud you know, without bothering to check the evidence. Yeah, and uh, the commission expects that the, the number of victims uh, could be much higher than is mm. known now. Uh, and they said uh, the families must be compensated uh, yeah, generously. But yeah. Um, I mean, uh, w- what this commission also said is uh, we can only give the benefits to these people if they actually applied for it. So if you yeah. haven't done that, then you're not going to get anything. But if you are told by the blasting deans that uh, you're not eligible for these benefits, then that's you the thing. Stop so some people, some people are basically discouraged from applying because they were told that, that they wouldn't be entitled, and so therefore they didn't apply, and then that means they won't get compensated. When yeah. in fact, if they had applied, they would have uh, well, they would now be entitled to compensation. Yeah, but if you apply, so you receive the money, and if you know that you're yeah. going to have to pay, so why, why exactly. would you bother exactly. to apply? Exactly, for if you're deterred from applying, if you've, if you've had this aggressive treatment from the blasting deans, the last thing you're going to do is put an application and uh, expose yourself to more of this misery. Indeed, and so, it's not, of course, the, the benefits that are missed. Some people had to quit their job or sell their homes, so it's yeah. not it's, they, they miss a lot of income if they quit their jobs. And yeah. also there's a lot of immaterial damage, of course, because they were put in a very stressful situation. Yeah. Sometimes relationships fell apart, you know, as, as Peter Omsich said in the, the debate this week, you know, you, you can compensate people for, you know, losing their home or losing their car or even losing their salary, but how do you compensate for people, you know, when they've broken up with their partner over this? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a debate on Wednesday where with Mena Snell and uh, what happened there? Well, it was a very long and also a very emotional debate because many victimized parents came to the Tweede Kamer to take a seat in on the public gallery. It was immediately clear that the deputy minister was going to survive the debate because the first speaker, Pieter Omzicht, the CDA MP mm. who really dug into it, this dossier, uh, he was quite mild. He praised the ministry that victims were finally going to be compensated. Uh, he called it a small light at the end of the tunnel. And he also said that he doesn't see the need of a parliamentary mm. inquiry. And such an inquiry could, of course, be very damning for the Belastingdienst. Yeah. And uh, how did uh, the minister perform, given that he, you know, he was really in the spotlight here? Well, for, from what I read about the commentaries, he, he did quite well. He promised that the blasting deans will help victims to apply for their compensations. These victims will no longer have to call the dreaded blasting telephone, yeah. <laughs> uh, sort of the call center for the tech service. And uh, I mean, if you ever called them, mm. even with a very small, minor problem, then you know how awful it is. And yeah. if you have a big problem, then they are not very yeah. helpful. And then, yeah, that, that was a really revealing moment, I think, debate, because uh, Snell just uh, stood there and said, well, you know, if you've got a problem, just call the blasting telephone. Yeah. And people in the gallery just started... 
you started laughing because yeah. you know they there's some these these families who spent hours on the phone to the blasting deans and they got absolutely no answers and in many cases it made the situation worse it sort of shows Snell as kind of being out of touch you know if you're a government minister and you're used to the system working for you you, you have this kind of trust in the institutions to, to 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 do their work properly but these families have a completely different experience and he was just totally unaware of that yeah and he was almost had to admit that when he was standing in parliament that it just hadn't occurred to him that phone the blasting telephone was actually often part of the source of these uh, these families problems indeed <laughs> uh, but in a way it's understandable that officials from the blossoming dienst also acted in this way because there is this specific task force that's mm. that's that's tasked to find fraud and if you are looking at the dossier and you see this person is suspected of fraud or this person has yeah. committed fraud then of course you're going to believe that so it, it, it's understandable that the rest of the blossoming dienst acted in this way but yeah and it's, i think it's kind of an inherent problem where if you give the task of distributing money and benefit to the tax service whose primary job is actually to take money off people. <laughs> it's not really a surprise yeah. that, that, you know, that they end up, you know, just concentrating more on taking money back off people than actually handing it out to them. You know, that, that's kind of what their job is. That's how they're set up to operate. So, indeed, know, yeah. this is kind of an accident waiting to happen in many ways, I think. Yeah, the idea for the benefit <laughs> system was that the Blossom Deans already knows a lot about people's income, of course, because, yeah. you know, that's what they do. So they are also very much equipped to determine if people are eligible for yeah. benefits as well. So yeah. in the early 2000s, the Blossom Deans was given this extra task, which it mm-hmm. was in no way prepared for. No. And it never really um, recovered from it. So No, it, it never really kind of reconfigured itself to actually be a distributor of money as well as a collector of money. No, indeed. Still so still that's also money. one of the yeah. main issues. And a lot of questions are now being uh, put to the system that we have, the system of giving money right away and mm-hmm. after afterwards check it. And also there are a lot of benefits that, that we have in the Netherlands and they're all paid by different agencies and, yes. all, and they all have their, their their own set of rules they all yeah. have their own terminology sometimes so it's it's really a mess it's, it's, a, it's a huge bureaucratic nightmare and really complicated and I mean I get um, uh, benefit money and supplements uh, for my children and it's a gigantic uh, complicated thing to go through and you have to send forms off to different things you have to apply to the council to actually have the support approved but then you actually have to get the money from the Social for Sacrings Bank which is a different institution they don't really talk to each other because we'll deal with these two things separately and then when something goes wrong you have to work out first who you're supposed to uh, appeal to to sort it out and often it's the wrong person it, t- it takes a long time and they're constantly sending you emails and letters asking for more information with deadlines and if you miss a deadline then that's another setback and you've got to wait six weeks for them to you know to, to check over your paperwork and decide how much you actually get and it's just an ongoing kind of cycle of bureaucracy and I'm reasonably literate I can deal with this stuff but a lot of people you know these are very vulnerable families who are not very well educated often have quite low literacy and really Really, really struggle just with the day-to-day management of this, you know, bureaucratic treadmill. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, it's um, my sister. She, um, when she got a job, she forgot to cancel her uh, healthcare benefits. Yeah. Um, and obviously, she she started to to earn too much for that. So, after years, she got a message from the from the tax service or yeah. whoever is responsible that she had to pay all this money back. Mm-hmm. And the healthcare benefits, I, th- I believe, it's less than one hundred euros a year. But yeah. if they only inform you after so many months, then it's it's already added up to yes. so much money. Yeah. So, but the child benefits, uh, of course, is much more money. So, yeah. and if you have to pay back years and years of this, there were people who had to pay almost one hundred thousand euros back yeah. to the to the tax office. Yeah. So. Because there are four of these benefits or kind of credits, really. They're kind of tax credits more than uh, 
of benefits in the traditional sense. But there, there are four different types, and if you're on all four types, so there's one there's one for your rent, there's two different ones for your children, one's for child care support, and one is for the kinderbonne budget, which is just money to you to support the raising of your children. And then there's the zorgtuslach for your healthcare and the huertuslach for your for your housing. If you get all four of those and you have to pay all four back, it can add up to very large sums of money. Yeah, yeah. indeed. So this is not going to be the end of it, obviously. Where do we go from here? No, probably not, because before the end of the year, three more reports on the scandal are expected to be released. These will focus on the exact number of victimized parents. So yeah, it was already expected that this will go mm. up very much. Because yeah. so, so far, they mainly focused on this one foster agency in uh, Eindhoven. And so yeah. the suggestion is this must be replicated in other places. Yeah, there must be m- yeah. many, many more parents who were yeah. victimized. And another report is on the question if the Blossomdienst was ethnically profiling, as you yes. mentioned in the scandal, because many of the peoples appear to be from foreign descent or do yeah. have dual nationality. So yeah, this could also be a very damning report, of course. So this yes. will definitely not be the end of it. Yeah, so we're likely to be revisiting this at the start of the new year when yeah, these reports indeed. come out. Well, we, we will update you on uh, this ongoing saga. Yes. Well, that's all we have for you uh, this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Um, you can earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast and uh, you can also ask us some yes. ridiculous questions. Please do. We will answer them all. My thanks to Gordon Derek and not to Molly Quell. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. This came off my Facebook memory for today. Apostrophe. World's worst <laughs> apostrophe mistakes. What a coincidence. <laughs>